Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and I'm back with another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. How's the great city of D.C. treating you, Chris? It's good, man. I had a great dinner. I landed probably around 8 o'clock or so. Went immediately to dinner, walked around a little bit. It's not too cold today. I'm in a great location, so hopefully I'll have some time tomorrow to do a little bit more fun stuff. If you like ramen, I don't know if you do or not. I haven't gotten that from you. But I would hit up this place called Chaplin's tomorrow for some of the best Japanese-style food in the city. Thankfully, it shouldn't be too busy since it's during the week. But if the trip was on the weekend, I'd have the brunch spots on go for you. Chaplin's. Okay, so it's a half mile away from where I'm at. So we're talking about 15-minute walk. That is definitely doable. I'm looking at the menu right now. It's good, bro. I went there for the first time when I had my last job in D.C. One of my homies that actually frequents D.C. but doesn't live there was like, dude, I don't know how you have lived out in the district, lived in Baltimore, and haven't gone to Chaplin's yet. And I was like, well, okay. It's Sunday night football. I'm going to go get some ramen on this cold afternoon. I think it was literally in October, the same month that I got this job and came over here. But Chaplin's, man, the karage was good. The ramen was good. Like, it, it was a good time. The ramen looks good. They've got a bunch of different options for the ramen, too. I like that. I, I know you do, because I've learned about Chris that he has a very low spice tolerance. <laughs> but hey, to each their own. And we love to hear that you're trying out new foods and getting into the culture of all the different cities that you're going to, Chris, because, you know, there's a lot going on. And you got Toronto up on the schedule coming up later. Oh, man. Some of these photos of this ramen place. Oh boy, they look really, really good. This isn't your Marushin, the stuff that you get for ten cents at Giant Eagle. This is <laughs> this is fancy ramen. That's what I'm talking about. Hey Chris, I will never steer you wrong with recommendations. <laughs> I am known for the food spots, the date spots. You let me know. All right. I'm gonna hit you up and let you know that. Hey man, that that's my city, man. I, I'm from Baltimore, but I since working in D.C., like that is some place that I am very frequenting. So if you need any more recommendations, if our subtexters need any recommendations when they're in the D.C. area, y'all let me know. But we got to get into this podcast, Chris. And we didn't get into it yesterday with everything else going on and wanting to make sure we got our weekly Hey Chris episode out. But I wanted to talk to you about Donovan Mitchell participating in the three-point contest as part of All-Star Weekend. And it's funny because... I think the story starts with another player. Donovan had been campaigning to get Sam Merrill into the competition as he's grown to be a known sniper around the league. 
But I talked to Sam ahead of the Kings game after Donovan had announced his participation. And Sam said that he wasn't invited and wasn't planning on being invited based on the names on the list of participants and how it's more of a popularity contest than anything else. And it's funny because Sam doesn't give much emotion, but it seemed like he would have been okay with participating, even though he had plans to potentially golf and spend time with his family, like he told us in previous interviews. So after the win over the Kings, Donovan talked about his participation, and he said he was confident even while knowing that he's not labeled a three-point shooter like the other players in the competition. He said that he would go out and win it for Sam, though, since he wasn't extended an invite. Chris, I think Donovan can prove multiple points in this contest, showcasing his three-point ability being the main one, but being the first player to win the dunk contest and the three-point contest while also claiming victory over two all-star starters selected over him in Tyrese Halliburton and Damian Lillard would definitely be icing on the cake, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. You know, Donovan is a complete basketball player, right? I mean, I don't know how much these guys really value the three-point contest and want to win it. Obviously, once they get into it, they're competitors and they want to win. It's not like he's Steph, right? It's not like he's clay. He's kind of different. And I just don't know how much Donovan looks at it and says, okay, of all the things that I want to accomplish during the course of my career, I want to show that I'm the three-point contest champion. I don't know how he feels about that. I guess it's a question that I'm going to dig into with him over the next couple of days. In saying that, like, I think this can show a different level to his game. And if he were to win it, because he isn't considered like Damian Lillard, like Steph Curry, like Clay Thompson, like Carl Anthony Towns, who's won it in the past. I think it would go a long way to maybe changing a little bit of the view of Donovan Mitchell. Although it's kind of weird to me that he's not looked at in that same conversation with those guys that I mentioned, because he is one of the most prolific three-point shooters in the entire NBA. He takes so many threes per game, so many threes per season. Throughout the course of his career, he has shot at a good percentage. I wouldn't say it's an elite number, but when you take as much volume as what he does, you know, you're probably not going to shoot like 40 to 45% from three-point range. So I think it will be interesting to see just how Donovan handles that and how he fares against some elite shooters that are probably looked at in a different light than what he is. He's looked at as more of a scorer, I think, as opposed to like a marksman. Yeah, Chris. And I mean, when you think of all-star three-point contests, I think there's really no other person that comes to direct mind than Larry Bird. Mark oh Price, you goodness. mean. Really? That's who comes to mind for you? Well, yeah, just because when I was a kid and I was growing up, anytime he was in the three-point contest and it was on late at night, my dad would tape it for me on VHS, and the next morning, my dad and I would watch it together. And, you know, Mark Price dueled with some of the great shooters of the past. I still remember his duel with Craig Hodges, and I was, like, jumping up and down in my living room as if it was happening live, but I was watching it on tape. So, yeah, Mark Price in the three-point contest with him in his Cavs jersey, his old-school jersey, that's where my mind goes. Absolutely. 
See, so this is where me forgetting that you're from Cleveland. Yeah, born and raised here. A, okay, talk your stuff. Talk your stuff. <laughs> I give it to you. I give it to you. Okay. But for a guy that like came up and was like, all right, I want to look at the greats. I want to be, I want to see who's the best at each sport and trying to like, I didn't really have a fandom. I think this past weekend with the Baltimore Ravens was like the first time that I actually like was rooting for a team as heavily as I have. I respect everything that Taylor Swift has brought in the football. A lot of people have been like, why on earth is Taylor Swift being shown on multiple occasions? And I'm like, dog, do you understand the volume that she brings, the gravity that she brings to everything she that she touches? But so back to the shooting contest, it's like, I really think that Larry Bird, for me, you look back at the old videos, you look back at Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, watching on from the sidelines, and they're like, this dude just talked all this mess in the locker room, and then said, I'm going to come out and beat y'all busters, and I'm going to do it with my warm-up still on. I'm going to still do it with my regular shoes on. I'm going to still do it with my pants on, and y'all are out here trying y'all best. And I think that's when... You think about Magic Johnson, you think about Michael Jordan, you think about the greats of the game. And I feel like a lot of people, I don't think look over is the right word, but because Larry came before Magic and all of them and Magic kind of took the throne from Larry and Michael took the throne from Magic, it's kind of gotten passed down in history. But Larry Bird, dude, like he's one of the what we call original gangsters. Like he was talking and doing all of these things the fact that homeboy said i'm gonna go and get however many points with strictly my left hand i don't know if the kids know this but when lebron was talking about wanting to score however many points because he's already the leading scorer of all time with his left hand that's a reference to larry bird so for some history for you kiddos out there yeah i mean larry bird took that thing seriously too he wanted to win the three-point contest also, I have to correct you. Like people in in this area, they did not care about Taylor Swift or the Kansas City Chiefs. They just wanted to see Baltimore lose. See, so okay, so there there we go. That's what I'm saying. It wasn't about Taylor Swift, it wasn't about Patrick Mahomes, it wasn't about Andy Reid. It was about you took our team and we hate you forever because of that. <laughs> so it was anybody and, and the Chiefs are a pain in the butt too, right? And I'm so sick of watching the Chiefs, but when it comes to the Ravens, it's it's anybody but them. So listen, Chris, I think you misheard me because I was saying I was rooting for Baltimore rather than the Chiefs. Yes, of course you were. I walk into the Cleveland pub right across the street from my apartment, and I walk in with the Sunday knowing that nobody in that joint is going to be wearing Cleveland Browns jerseys. I remember when, because this is a place that I frequent just because it's right across the street from where I'm at. They're like, you should come for the Cleveland Browns and Baltimore Ravens game. I'm like, I'm not stupid. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to get caught up in that mess. I'm sorry. I will be at my house watching it on YouTube TV. But when the Ravens were playing the Chiefs and I was like, nobody from the Cleveland Browns is going to come to watch this game. <laughs> so I was there and I was able to wear my Ravens gear. I was able to act a fool. And that was the first time that I feel like I have like, hey, man, it was a good feeling (laughs) up until the fourth quarter when we saw the time winding down. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I really, I really think that's the first time that I've, outside of being a Kobe fan first, and that's the first time I've really been able to support a team, just being like a journalist and like being, trying to be objective in every standing. So I think it's funny because as soon as I walked in, they were like, you know what? We don't like it. <laughs> and I was like, well, I, hey, man, I'm here for the game. I'm going to spend good money here. Y'all, you're, 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 you'll get okay. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. But back to the Cavs, in the same breath of mentioning the All-Star game, we have to make note that Jared Allen was not selected as an injury replacement by Commissioner Adam Silver, who instead selected Toronto's Scotty Barnes and Atlanta's Trey Young to replace New York's Julius Randle and Philadelphia's Joel Embiid. What did you think of this decision? I'm not surprised that it was Trey. I think there's a strong case that he deserves to be an all-star. And, you know, Adam Silver doesn't have to pick bigs just because those are bigs that are missing. He's just trying to figure out who is most deserving, who he wants to reward. I totally understand Trey. I also understand not making Trey a starter, not making him a reserve and making him have to wait his turn because they're 22 and 28. In saying that, he's top 10 in scoring in the NBA. He's averaging a career high in assists. And they're not 22 and 28 because he's had a bad season. You know what I mean? They're 22 and 28 because it's a weird roster. It's a flawed roster. I don't know that him and DeJounte Murray work all that well from a fit standpoint. But individually, he's had a great year. And I think this is about the time because all of the other better options have already been chosen. I think this is about the time where you take Trey and you put him in the All-Star game and you let him put on a show and you reward him for his individual accomplishments this year. The Scotty Barnes thing is pretty perplexing. And, and that doesn't mean that he's not having a great season because he is. He's averaging career highs basically across the board. But, you know, Toronto is one of the worst teams in the NBA. They're 2-8 in their last 10. And I just think the way that the Cavs have played and the way that Jarrett has played individually as well, I think both of those things together warrant the Cavs having two all-stars this year. You know, Boston's got two, and I think the Cavs were definitely deserving of having two. So the Scotty Barnes thing, look, you can make an argument that he belongs there individually. The way that he has played for the Raptors at this stage of his career, it's impressive. He's putting up good numbers, but I just think at some point, the way that Jarrett has played combined with the Cavs being the number two seed in the Eastern Conference deserves more recognition than what it's gotten to this point. Yeah, I completely agree. Like when I saw who were the replacements, I was like, all right, Trey Young, that makes sense. Why on earth is Scotty Barnes in there? And you mentioned it, like obviously his numbers are good, but we got to talk about impact and we got to talk about being an all-star caliber player to be able to lift your team to new heights. And that was Jared Allen to a T. And a lot of people, when Donovan Mitchell posted, as he said he was going to on social media saying, why wasn't Jared Allen selected? A lot of people in his mentions were talking about, all the stats that you posted were just in the last 19 games. All the stats that you posted were in a small sample size. First of all, the last two months is not a small sample size. That is what changed the entire Eastern Conference. Philly was in third in the Eastern Conference when this whole thing started. They are now in fifth, and now the Cavs are in second of the Eastern Conference. Like There's been a lot of changes and dips and 
things that have happened that you cannot take for granted when it comes to Jared Allen, when it comes to points production, which nobody at the beginning of the season was looking for from him, especially with Evan Mobley. It was Evan Mobley needed to take an offensive jump. It was, oh, we need Jared Allen to be the backbone of the defense. We need him to grab boards and make sure that the offensive or the other team wants to go in different directions, all of those things. But Jared Allen said, okay, Y'all are having problems on the offensive end because we lost Evan Mobley and we lost Darius Garland, who were two of the top three offensive outputs at that time for the Cavs, and said, oh, I'm going to step up and do my thing. Oh, I'm going to go grab double-digit rebounds. Oh, I'm going to set a franchise record for double-doubles. And then as soon as Evan gets back, it's like, okay, let's divvy up the workload. Let's actually make these things flow as we saw fit in the beginning of the season. And those are the things that you don't see a lot of the bigs in the game being able to do, be able to step up when stars like Evan Mobley and Darius Garland go out. And I think that, more than anything, was the reason why Jared Allen should have been able to make that jump, even over other guys like Chris Stops and the other injury replacement opportunities that Adam Silver had to make. I mean, again, there's a case for Scotty Barnes. We, we have to be honest. There is a case yeah, for Scotty Barnes. there is. Like, in terms of estimated plus-minus – he is very close to Jarrett. He's behind Jarrett, but he's very close to Jarrett. Jarrett's in the 90th percentile. Scotty Barnes is in the 88th percentile. In terms of value over replacement player, something that is supposed to measure impact of a player independent of other things. I mean, Scotty Barnes is in the top 20 in the entire NBA. In terms of win shares, Jarrett Allen has him beat Jarrett's top 15 in that. Scotty Barnes is outside the top 20. But, like, again, it's not a situation where, like, Mikel Bridges got in over Jared Allen or something like that. I think if there was anybody in the front court that would potentially stand in the way of Jared, of the remaining guys who could potentially stand in his way, like, Scotty Barnes was the guy that loomed. Jimmy Butler was the other one, too, but it seems like Commissioner Adam Silver and maybe even fans and players are holding it against Jimmy that he doesn't play all that many games. So the bottom line is, I, I do think there is a legitimate argument for Scotty Barnes. But if it's close in a lot of the categories that are supposed to measure impact, at that point, to me, the tiebreaker should be how the team has performed. That's just me. I agree. And I also wanted to get your thoughts on how the timeline is set up ahead of the All-Star game. With tip-off set for February 18th in Indianapolis and the trade deadline on February 8th. I know that most of the players are locks for their teams that make the All-Star game and seen as untradeable. But Trey Young this year seems to be the outlier. He's been added into the All-Star mix as of late, as we mentioned, as an injury replacement. And I find it interesting because I'm convinced that he's not going to be on the Hawks by the All-Star break. What? Yeah. Really? I honestly think if they're going to trade somebody, the options for Trey Young to be traded to the Spurs to link up with Victor Wembanyama, what do you think about that? Like, that's nasty. Well, I think it depends on what Atlanta would want back in return and whether San Antonio has the pieces to make that work, right? So, like, in the situation that the Spurs are in, what are they going to be willing to give up in order to get somebody like Trey? And what would Atlanta want in return? Because usually 
what it comes down to, Ethan, is that if you have an underachieving, underperforming team and you want to shift back into a rebuild, you want a whole bunch of draft capital, right? You want some combination of young, up-and-coming players and draft capital. Well, like, it would be weird to me to see a team like San Antonio in the situation that they're in, even if they do get Trey, to sacrifice a lot of their future and a lot of their draft capital moving forward because that's how they're trying to build their team. Unless they feel like, hey, Victor's the guy. He's the focal point. We feel really, really good. We think it's now time to accelerate our timeline. Maybe they look at it that way. Yeah, and I mean, I think the other thing is like Greg Popovich isn't getting any younger, and we know how much he impacts the game as a coach and being able to coach big-time players throughout his career and actually elevate them. Jante Murray has actually also said that he wouldn't be opposed to getting traded back to the Spurs, but honestly, like a think- little bit of a different situation, I think. Okay. Because there's like built-in understanding from San Antonio of the strengths and the weaknesses of DeJounte Murray. They've got enough familiarity with him. When it comes to Trey, like giving up everything that they would probably have to give up in order to get somebody who they don't have knowledge of how he's going to fit into their system. They don't have knowledge of how he's going to fit into their locker room. They don't have as much knowledge of how he's going to blend with the coaching staff. Like, to me, there would be more uncertainty in terms of trading for Trey. Like, Trey's a better player. He's a better point guard. He's probably a better fit in terms of run and pick and roll stuff with Wemby. But I think there's more uncertainty from San Antonio's perspective of what they're going to get from Trey. And if you give up all that stuff and you're a rebuilding team, you get to push your chips in the table once on those kinds of players. You know what I'm saying? So you better make sure that it's the right guy in the right system, the right fit behind the scenes, the right kind of leader, all those different things. And I just don't know that Trey is. He certainly doesn't seem to have that same kind of reputation. I honestly like Trey Young only because of the fact that he has never been afraid to be the villain since high school. Like nobody's liked him. And when he got to the NBA, when he went to Madison Square Garden and has done his ice cold tray celebration on multiple occasions, that is what makes me like him. And that might just be me because I've always been an antagonist grows into a hero or whatever kind of person. But I really just I think the point as of now is like I wanted to see what you thought of the potential for trays to happen with the All-Star game so close, like you could literally see players switched between the Eastern Conference and Western Conference. And that kind of changes the whole complexity of the All-Star game. And obviously, yes, there's 10 days in between said things, but that still throws off a lot of the things. I don't recall what the setup is for this year. I understand there's captains and such, but if there wasn't, like selections if there wasn't like the lebron versus kd picks and things like of that nature no it's east versus west this year yeah so that that changes everything if somebody switches conferences well it's still better than what it used to be about 10 years ago i was in new orleans covering the all-star game and i think it was after the all-star game itself i don't think it was after all-star saturday night i'm pretty sure it was after the all-star game itself i mean demarcus cousins is there And he had just gotten traded. 
he had gotten traded that all-star weekend and he had to sit up there at a podium and try and digest getting traded. And like, it was just so awkward in terms of the questions that were being asked of him and, and what he was able to say at that point in time, because I think the news broke and everybody was scrambling to figure out how much validity there was to it, whether it was going to be confirmed by the team. He was with the Kings at that time, and he got traded to the Pelicans. <laughs> it was really, really awkward. And the NBA obviously has remedied that, and you don't have those same kinds of things moving forward. You're not going to have that at this year's All-Star Game because the trade deadline is going to come first, but at least it wasn't that. We were inside the Smoothie King Center, and he had to like process being traded that night. It was very, very strange. So I just pulled up the video. I just, I was wrong on one thing. It was not 2015, it was 2017. So I was pretty close, but two years off. I just pulled up the video and there's like somebody from the PR staff that whispers in DeMarcus Cousins' ear. He's got all of these cameras in front of him. He's got all of these reporters in front of him because he was an all-star and he was selected as an all-star late in, in the game. I think he was an injury replacement or something like that. So he's in the middle of his media session and I think it's a member of the PR staff whispers in DeMarcus Cousins' ear, hey, you just got traded to the New Orleans Pelicans. You're no longer with the Sacramento Kings. And like the day before that, he was talking about his love for Sacramento and Vladi Divac said he wasn't going to trade DeMarcus Cousins. So it was just a really awkward situation. And at least because the trade deadline has been moved up, we can avoid that this year. That's nice. That reminds me, like, the All-Star Game setup kind of reminds me of what's going on in the NFL with the Super Bowl because, like, you have all of these reporters that don't generally cover the team that just fly out to Vegas to cover this one event. And, like, you have people asking Travis Kelsey about Taylor Swift, who we mentioned earlier in the podcast. You have reporters asking Travis Kelsey about getting a fade and having the fade named the Travis Kelsey, which... Is not a thing. Oh my God. The fate has been around for forever. And Travis having to say, I feel bad for myself because y'all threw me to the wolves on February 1st. If people don't know what month it is, it's Black History Month. And on February 1st, this news jumped out saying that the Travis Kelsey was the fade. And <laughs> as Travis knows, that is not the case. And then you also have Reporters talking to Patrick Mahomes, asking him what his best Kermit the Frog impersonation is, and him having to say, I'm talking, aren't I? Like the All Star game setup and the NFL Super Bowl setup, and having reporters that are just in the area having to ask questions that are clickbait worthy or story worthy or whatever you might want to call it is insane to me because like you said like we've talked about like there are potential for players to get traded and have to not only move teams but move their families too and like these are we've talked a lot about mental health on this podcast over the last couple of months and we have to remind ourselves that these players are people first. Like they are people. They are going through these emotions. And I think you mentioning the Smoothie King to going to the podium and talking about these things is a great representation of that because you really, these players don't have a lot of time to idealize what is going on. And that's really hard. And 
a lot of fans want to talk about like, oh, they have it nice, they have it good, yada yada yada. Like Sam Merrill was on the Kings a couple years ago, like, and had to find out where he was. He was thought he was about to play in Europe. Like people's lives change if you are not a star player, and a lot of people aren't star players in this league. And we've talked a lot about varying topics today, and I'm glad. And we're going to take a quick break, but I got to put our subscribers on to something new that has to do with nothing about sports. And it's about a new podcast that Cleveland.com is running. And if you like food and drinks, and who doesn't, we're breaking new ground with our lively new podcast about dining and drinking in the greater Cleveland area. The hosts talk about the latest foodie happenings, joined by the most in-the-know experts in town. It's called Dine, Drink, CLE, and you can find it anywhere you download podcasts. Give it a listen, quench your thirst, and feed that appetite. When we come back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, we're going to discuss the pros and cons of Craig Porter Jr. being sent down to the G League with the Cavs roster nearly at full strength. But before then, become a Cavs insider and interact with me and Chris by subscribing to Subtext. Chris, with the trade deadline looming and all-star notifications coming in, tell the fans what they're getting from you on Subtext. It's just a way to join the community. It's a Cavs community. And you get information, news, analysis sent straight to your phone. And you can interact with Ethan and I as games are going on. You get sights and sounds from shoot around and from practice. So somebody always used to tell me as, as I started out being a reporter, you report with your eyes, right? So Ethan and I were there, we're at shoot around, we're at practice, we're there in the locker room before games, after games. And some of this stuff just doesn't make its way to X, formerly Twitter. Some of this stuff doesn't make its way into our stories, um, but it makes its way to subtext and you get my vibe on um, whether a guy is going to play going into the night, if he's listed as questionable, I get a sense from my sources around the team, whether the guy is going to be available or not. So I put that on subtext, interesting nuggets that we see in the locker room, interesting nuggets that we see at shoot around practice. You get that as well. So it's just a way to, to stay up to date on everything Cavs and just understand that not everything that we see or hear or learn about this team is going to be on X, formerly Twitter. Um, so this is your way to get that kind of information that's reserved just for you. And to get this information and even ask some questions that don't have to do with sports. Maybe you want to figure out where to go eat in D.C. Maybe you want to go out to figure out where not to hit an ATL. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word stop. It's easy. But we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from Chris and myself. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Chris, you had mentioned earlier today that 
we've done a lot of trade stuff, but it's nearing the deadline. It's about that time. What other things do you think we need to touch on for the Cavs listeners? I'm just curious from your perspective, Ethan, if the Cavs could make a move to address some position on the team, what do you think is most needed? Chris, I think we've touched on this a lot. The 3 and D type player, but I'm very much of the thought process that the Cavs adding Evan Mobley and Darius Garland back was like their trade acquisitions because we talked about it with J.B. Bickerstaff and they had a lineup that was working. They had a rotation that was working. And now you add in two quote-unquote new players that are acclimating into the new system because before Darius Garland and Evan Mobley went out, they were not playing the way that they are now. They were 13 and 12 and they were trying to find their identity and now they know exactly who they are and what they need to do to be successful on a nightly basis and acclimating two all-star level players into that team is like bringing in players that can help out on a nightly basis. And we talked about bringing in win-now players. Those two are win-now players. Those two are guys that have now have playoff experience and want to get back to that and exceed the expectations that were set for them at the beginning of the season. Like we had said, I think at the beginning of the season, three or four was the goal for them at the end of the year to be at. They're at number two right now. So they're already ahead of schedule. They're already doing things that personally I didn't think were possible with what we had came into this year looking at. Obviously, the 76ers losing Joel Embiid changes a lot of things. But I honestly think that the team that they have right now, the morale, the joy, the camaraderie that they've built is something that can be altered by bringing in a wrong piece. And I don't want to see that for the Cavs to bring somebody in that they think is going to elevate the team, but also shifts how they look at each other in the locker room. Because I don't think I've seen Max Struess smile as much as since they started winning. I don't think you see Donovan Mitchell stand up on a Gatorade stand trying to get into Max Struess's interview if they're not winning as much, if they're not playing as much. And I was listening to a different podcast earlier today, and it was crazy to think about that they were right. You look at Donovan Mitchell. And we came into this season, we came in at 13 and 12 with a lot of people asking us, where's Donovan Mitchell going at the trade deadline? What's going on? Yada, yada, yada. And Donovan feels like he's having more fun than ever. And I asked him this in the locker room talking about, is this the most joyful? Is this the most together team he's played for and played with? And he's hesitated, but he ended up saying yes. Because you think about him playing with Rudy Gobert and the Utah Jazz and the teams that they've been able to put together. And last year, they were having fun, too, at points when they were on positive streaks. But this year feels different. It feels like they don't expect to lose at any point. They always go in with the notion that they can win almost any setup, any game that they're faced with. And it's crazy to think about that other coaches around the league are taking notice. Like Mike Brown with the Sacramento Kings said before their game earlier this week that they really can go up and face adversity because they faced it 
earlier in the season that nothing can stand in their way. And I think that's the difference of bringing in someone new is they don't have that same battle test with the same group. They might be battle tested with a different team, but because you have that Max Struess energy, because you have that Donovan Mitchell energy, because you have that Isaac Okoro energy, you get those players to ramp up at a different volume because they understand the standard that they've set for each other. And they also have confidence in one another. And if you bring somebody else in, they might not have the same confidence. Like earlier this season, I was privy to this. Who was Dean Wade? Who was Sam Merrill? Why would I believe in those players? That might be the same notion that the players that are coming in might still have because they haven't played alongside them. You don't Get the same experience with players unless you're playing with them on a daily, nightly basis. And that's what this Cavs team has built. Like, they are growing together. They've grown together. They've experienced together. And Donovan Mitchell mentioned it after the Sacramento Kings game that Max Struess has been great for them on multiple things, but he set the tone as early as training camp when it came to the beep test. Here we go about the beep test again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the beep test is something that that teams test with fitness and Max Strus apparently right. blew it out the water. Yeah, he brought a different standard because he came from Miami where it was no nonsense. It was a winning culture. It was a championship level organization. And yeah, I mean, you can tell that Max has brought that to the locker room. I remember after one of the first games that they lost this year, Max was pissed. Some of the other guys were just kind of like, hey, it's a long season, you know, nothing to get too concerned about. And Max is in there and he's pissed because they lost because he has a different standard coming from Miami. And it feels like the Cavs have, have elevated their standard as well. But like when it comes to the trade deadline, Ethan, to me, this feels more like a setup because the front office knows that J.B. Bickerstaff begrudgingly plays 10. <laughs> yeah, He's most comfortable <laughs> with 8-9, but he will play 10. And the front office knows that. And there are 10 that legitimately deserve consistent minutes on this roster that have earned consistent minutes on this roster. And JB has a hard enough time juggling that. Like, can I find minutes for Sam Merrill? Can I find minutes for Craig Porter Jr. because those guys are outside or just on the borderline of that 10 range. So like to me, this setup feels more like a team that is going to be a player in the buyout market. You find somebody that a team does not want, they buy out of their contract, and the guy is attracted to, number one, the number two seed in the Eastern Conference, number two, an opportunity to play on a high-level team with playoff slash championship aspirations, and number three, maybe play alongside Donovan Mitchell. So I don't know who fits that profile, but that to me makes more sense for this kind of team than going out and, and trading away a player or two that they like, a player or two that they value, a player or two that's already in this rotation for somebody just to beef up the 8-9 spot in the rotation. If the right deal comes along, I can certainly see the Cavs considering it, maybe even pulling the trigger, but but I think they're going to be more attractive than what they once were when it comes to the buyout market. And a guy in a buyout is different expectations, different role, different responsibilities than somebody that the Cavs would have to give up assets in order to acquire. And I think the most important thing with that is like, 
the Cavs don't want somebody that thinks that they're going to come in and start. They are very confident with the starting lineup that they have. Darius, Donovan, Max, Jared, and Evan. That is the starting lineup that they thought they were going to have at the beginning of the season, and they're just now getting it back and being able to see how it works in the scheme that they figured out that works on a nightly basis. Like, that is the biggest thing for the Cavs. Like, obviously, Chris is absolutely right with thinking that the buyout market is good because those players are trying to just stay in the league at that point most of the time. Probably trying to latch onto a playoff contender and see if they can, you know, maybe they get their number called based on injury, based on foul trouble or something like that. But the history of a guy who goes to a different place in the buyout market and makes a significant impact on a team, that list is very, very small. So the expectations are quite different and the responsibilities and the role that that guy would be stepping into quite different as well. So I think he would be more accepting of a lesser role of will I play, will I not play, more of an insurance policy type guy. That's what you usually look for in the buyout market, not somebody to significantly alter or significantly impact your nightly rotation, because that just doesn't happen very often in the buyout market. And Chris, we mentioned the rotation in J.B. Bickerstaff wanting to keeping it at a 10-man rotation, and that leaves somebody off, and I think we have to talk about him. So Chris, I talked to Craig Porter Jr. ahead of the matchup against the Kings about how he's gotten to where he is and the things of that nature, and the question dawned on me. Would he be okay with being sent down to the G League to get more reps and minutes as opposed to racking up DNPs with the Cavs, especially with point guard Darius Garland returning from his fractured jaw? He said that he wasn't opposed to it, but has obviously been living his dream of playing in the NBA and being around a great group that many of the Cavs players have attested to. If he were to be sent down for a game with the G League's Cleveland Charge, it would be his debut in a season where he thought he'd be flipping between squads periodically like how Isaiah Mobley and Imani Bates are doing. Do you think it would be beneficial or fitting for the Cavs to have Craig play with the Charge to keep him fresh if JB has said that he wants to keep said 10-man rotation and that excludes Craig? or has him at the bottom of the pecking order. I don't think they can afford to do that because they don't have a backup point guard on this roster that's healthy and available. Now, if Ty Jerome finally gets healthy and he can be active for a game for the third time this season, then I think it changes a little bit. But what happens if Donovan gets hurt? What happens if Darius Garland has to leave a game because he gets smacked in the face again or he gets into foul trouble? or he rolls an ankle, or something along those lines. I just think, even though they have ball-handling options, I think they need to keep Craig Porter Jr. up here as an insurance policy, a game-to-game insurance policy, because they just don't have enough healthy bodies at that particular position. I mean, Darius Garland's on a minute restriction. You don't want to play Donovan a whole ton of minutes as you continue to progress throughout the season. So you may see JB start to cut his down just a little bit more. Karis LeVert has battled injuries, including knee soreness. What if his knee flares up? So I just think there are too many variables that are attached to to why Craig Porter Jr. is so valuable for this roster. And I just don't know, Ethan 
this is a guy who has played a number of games in the NBA as a rookie. He has shown himself to be competent and capable in the role that the Cavs have given him. Each time he's gotten a bigger opportunity, he doesn't look rattled. He looks in control. He knows the system. He runs the team in a positive way. So I just don't know what somebody like that is going to gain by going down to the G League. It's one thing if it's Isaiah Mobley and it's Imani Bates and those were like big time upside swings and they need reps and they need game action and they need consistent playing time. For Craig Porter Jr., who has already played in the NBA and handled himself well in those minutes, I just don't think there's a ton of value in sending him down to the G League. So, Chris, I think, honestly, the only time that I think the Cavs wouldn't shift Donovan to the point guard role or keep Darius in the point guard role, and we've seen it this season, is if both of them are out at the same time. And we've seen them be able to throw in Max Struess into the number two role, into the shooting guard role, which is his primary position before coming to the Cavs and move Isaac Okoro to the three spot and do the divvy up as of there. I honestly think that Craig could benefit more from the G League experience, and I'm somebody that's loved seeing him play at the NBA level. And he jokingly said that he's gotten used to the lavish life of the NBA and has heard stories about the G League. And even though he hasn't been getting consistent minutes, has been enjoying his time with the Cavs. And I think that says a lot about his character and the selflessness of this Cavs team to not be worried about themselves, but rather the group and continuing to grow their relationships with one another. What is a 23-year-old rookie that already has NBA experience, a good chunk of it, more than anybody anticipated at this point, what's he going to gain by going down to the G League, do you think? Game run. I think that's the main thing. But he's already gotten that at the NBA level. Right, but but it's not on a consistent basis. Like, I, I think because you're not playing every day, obviously, obviously, you get a lot from guarding Darius and Donovan and practice and those things, but you're not going game speed in those practices. You're not getting the same reps. You're not getting, and obviously he's worked a lot in college, played five years in college, Juco, then going to Wichita State before coming to the NBA and being an undrafted rookie. Like he is someone who has experience, but being able to Obviously, the G League is a lesser talent-based pool than the NBA, but you still have guys that are on the cusp of banking it to the NBA, that you have guys that have been able to make it. It's not like you're going to the Y and hooping against guys that you know you can dominate. Like Craig could make his debut and could go off in multiple ways. Sure, maybe that's what he needs. Maybe that's what the Cavs need, to just throw him out there one time and be like, okay, you're too good for the G League. Come back up. That's my thing. It's not like he's not on a two-way contract that you can't just pull him back up. Obviously, if there's a game on the same day or the day before, you have to measure that out. But the Cavs have the ability to be like, okay, we're going to look at what you can do at the G League and still have you available for a game with us if need be. And you get the reps in game. You get the reps against opponents that don't really care what you got going on that are trying to be feisty that are trying to make a name for themselves and just see where you are and also 
what kind of offense you can run at the point guard level with guys that aren't at the same caliber as Donovan Mitchell or Max Struess or the guys that you played around when Darius Garland was injured. I think the Cavs know enough about Craig Porter Jr. already. I mean, they've had conversations internally, and it's probably going to continue as the trade deadline passes about converting him to a standard NBA contract. They believe he's an NBA player. They've seen him be an NBA player. And and I just, I don't think there's enough value in sending him down to lose out on the potential insurance policy of having him dressed on a nightly basis for the Cavs team. Because this organization has to protect itself on a nightly basis when it comes to lineup decisions, when it comes to inactives versus actives. And even though Donovan Mitchell can shift to point guard at any given point, what if Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell have to leave the game at the same time? Then what do they do? They run Karis LeVert full-time point guard? Probably not a situation that they want to put themselves in. And it doesn't mean that Donovan and Darius are definitely going to get hurt in the same game, or Donovan's going to leave a game because of an injury, and Darius is going to get into foul trouble or something along those lines. But as an organization... Like you have to think about potential worst case scenarios when it comes to developing your roster. And I think the Cavs know that they need Craig Porter Jr. more than Craig Porter Jr. needs the G League. Even if he doesn't play, you still have that protection. You still have that backup plan sitting on your bench and you're comfortable with that decision. And I honestly don't think there's a wrong decision either way, but I think allowing him to start and get minutes in the G League could be good for his confidence. But that's also mindset of somebody that didn't already have confidence coming into the league and Craig Porter has shown that but on your notion of Karis being in the game when Donovan or Darius are out and I think that only would have to happen one game for them not to pull Craig back up I understand what you're saying because like if Karis would have to start a game, it would be detrimental to the Cavs because he's gotten so used to his six-man role and coming off the bench, and that's helped him, and we've talked about that a whole lot. But I think that's like a very scarce scenario, and we obviously don't wish injury on anybody on this podcast. Of course, but you can't control what happens throughout the course of a basketball game, and you don't know when you're going to need that guy. Maybe a situation arises, and JB turns to his bench, and he's like, hey, I need Craig Porter Jr. He hasn't been in the rotation for a number of days. He hasn't been in the rotation for a number of weeks. But I need him because the situation presented itself that is impossible to predict. That's life in the NBA. Things change quickly. Yeah, and I agree. I, like I said, I don't think there's a bad decision either way. I think it was just worth the conversation because obviously he's a 23-year-old rookie, which doesn't happen a lot in today's NBA, it seems. And he's growing, but... I think he's benefited a lot from the NBA, and I think he would also benefit from the G League. But with all that being said, that'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and me by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from me and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.